Jesus' name, amen. Our reading comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 27. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us, that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you. It is a new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going. Who betrays me is with me. Son of Man is going, as it has been determined. But woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to ask to one another which one of them it could be who would do this. A great dispute arose among them as to which one of them is to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you, you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they pierced him in the side? Were you there when they pierced him in the side? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they pierced him in the side? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Will you pray with me? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, 
O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Recently, I've been watching a lot more television. Not a ton more, but a bit. Uh, For some reason, I've found a little bit extra time. I don't know. Seems like there's a little bit more time to catch up on shows that I've missed. Uh, I've been re-watching classics, though. I've been re-watching Magnum P.I., something my father and I watched together as a kid. But the one that's been on the most recently in my house is Seinfeld. Now, this show was on in the background of my childhood, and I can remember my parents laughing and laughing and laughing, and and me, you know, laughing alongside with them, hoping uh, that I was getting it at the right time. I I knew when Kramer came in, that was an appropriate time to laugh, and as I'm not able to get to a barbershop soon, I will uh, begin to look more like Kramer here in your your homes. But I never got the jokes of Seinfeld. I, I was a kid. I was just kind of going through the motions along with my parents. But now that I'm watching it again, seeing the storylines in a new light, I I understand the humor. I get it now. I get what all the fuss was about. You see, sometimes shows and movies and stories, they begin to take on new light depending on the context that they're consumed in. I know that I can read a story or watch a movie or a TV show a thousand times, but then one time... Something new, something new will, will come to light. I, I wonder if this happens in your own lives. Uh, do you find yourself looking at things differently? Maybe as you grow older or after you had children or maybe after a big move or a change in jobs that the story was viewed with new eyes that as if it were being told to you through a new lens. For me, this Holy Week, that's how all of the scriptures have been. I've enjoyed doing our our prayer time at noon, especially because we get to hear all of the different scriptures throughout Holy Week. And for me, they've come alive in many ways. Often on Maundy Thursday, we hear about the foot washing ceremony that's the focal point of, of John's gospel. But the book that we've been reading through, McLaren's book, We Make the Road by Walking, chooses instead to, to focus on the table, the Passover meal. And so I I went back and I read through all the different gospel depictions of the Last Supper and the one depicted in 1 Corinthians, but I found that the gospel of Luke was jumping out at me. It, It was as if I were reading it with new eyes during this time to see all new things happening in in the scene and behind the scenes. At this point, we've heard that Jesus and his disciples have made their impromptu ticker tape entry into Jerusalem. But we didn't hear immediately what happened afterwards, but it can be assumed that they got to work teaching and and generally causing trouble. It seems as if their days had a familiar rhythm. They would come to town, go to the temple. Jesus would begin to teach in his radically approachable way that he had, and often those teachings would challenge the temple elites, and they would argue with him, and that would cause a big stir. Or maybe he would say something that was provocative, like the the foretelling of the destruction of the temple, and that would get everyone whipped up into a lather. And then they would slink away back to the mountain and sit under the olive trees. They would set up their campsite, and they would find respite from the day's chaos. Their life began to take on a simplicity. They were in a rhythm Their fear of the authorities in town and the volatility of large crowds kept them out at a safe distance, a physical distance, every night. But then, on the night when the Passover meal was set to happen, it seems as though they've decided to break their routine, to leave the safe 
distant Mount of Olives and come to town to celebrate the Passover meal. Fred Craddock points out that Jesus in Luke's gospel commands Peter and John, the only one in which they're named, to make these Passover preparations. And so they went out and they found the mystery man carrying the jar of water and that that man already had a room set up, set aside and furnished. Now Craddock wants us as readers to see that Jesus was working behind the scenes to ensure that the Passover was celebrated, even when the circumstances of their situation in Jerusalem were precarious. Jesus wanted his disciples to have a sense of normalcy, a familiar Seder meal with their friends. Now, of course, they could have gone out, spread a picnic blanket under those olive trees, dined over the Passover lamb by the firelight, but the Passover for the Jews then and now was a still point in their life, something they looked forward to during the year. It was a holiday that, that just could not be missed, one that stood not just as a nourishment for the body, but a nourishment for the soul, one that bound together all of Israel in common remembrance of God's faithfulness and liberation from slavery in Egypt. It was a meal that would have carried for each of the disciples its own distinct memories. They probably would have remembered sitting around the table with their own ancestors, hearing the stories of grandparents and great-grandparents, the lineage of that time in the desert. They probably would have laughed along as the adults joked, even though they didn't understand. They would have heard the stories, and as they got older, they would have retold the stories of Moses' bravery and God's fidelity to the people called Israel. It was a night that was important. And in my thinking, I think that Jesus was willing to risk leaving their camp on the Mount of Olives, willing to close the distance between safety and his death, to ensure that his disciples got a taste of home, a taste of something familiar around the Passover table. And I think that can be found when you see what Jesus says when they gather around the table together that night. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Jesus was yearning for something that felt normal something that felt familiar during a week that felt like nothing else in the world, a glimpse of normalcy during this time of uncertainty and volatility, the fellowship of friends around the table before the time of suffering. You see, the table was something that uh, the early Jewish tradition and the early church understood. You know, our, our communion now is, is very ritualized, and we take it very seriously, but over time it's begun to, to take on, as Norman Wurzba calls it, a, a nibbling session. It becomes a routine and habit, a little small piece here and there, rather than a place where we gather together to obtain inspiration, strength, and sustenance. And that reminded me of when I was... Uh, you know, probably eight, this would have made my sister three or four, uh, that at our church, we, we went down, we knelt for communion at the rail, just like we do on Sunday mornings in the early service here. And uh, the associate pastor, his name was Keith Jenkins, he's a really tall guy, he came around and he was giving everyone communion, and when we'd get to the children, he'd always kneel down and, and say something nice. So he kneels down and says, Harper, this is very special bread. This is the body of Christ. And my sister gazes up at him with a smile on her face and replies, no thanks, uh, I already had a snack today. Now, I say this not to pick on my sister, but to point out how easy it is to gloss over the importance of the table. Because we do it over and over again, 
And soon it just becomes a blip on the radar of our life, a little nibbling session rather than a meal, a meal that's the beginning and the end of our faith, a table where Jesus is not only remembered, but sin is dismembered, a table where we are nourished body and soul to go into the world and love and serve God and others. During this time of physical distance, I've found my kitchen table has taken on a new life. It's become my office, my source of entertainment. It's become a restaurant. It's become an altar. This was a table that was once a repository for unopened mail, um, a place where meals were eaten in a hurry as you went out the door or quickly came in. But now it has a, a mind of its own. It has a new life. It's a place where conversations happen, where meals are eaten slowly and savored, the only glimpse of familiarity left during a time of weirdness and uncertainty. The table in my kitchen has become a respite for me, a reminder to slow down, to leave work and to to savor the blessings of connection with my wife and, and the blessings of food that we have on our table. I heard this week on Pub Theology, members of our congregation talk about how they're enjoying having time to gather at their own tables that their children are now home early. They, they would not have been home. They would have been out activities like dance or soccer or swimming or that their spouse is home because they're working from home now and that the table has become the center of their familial world again. They get together to eat, to play games, to do homework and work together at the same table. It's the center of their lives. It's where they find common ground. I told a, an embarrassing story about my sister, so I'll tell you a good one. She recently got a job. She just graduated from school, and she works at a a big PR firm, and she works at the Kansas City office, but recently she got assigned a job partnering with the New York office. So she is on a lot of telecommunication calls and Zoom calls, and she has many colleagues about her age, but most of them are Jewish. And today, they were all telling her the stories of preparing their own Passover meal. This was going to be the first time they were doing it on their own. For many of them, this was literally the first time they were doing the cooking. So they talked about how big a brisket really was for one person, or others lamented the the difficulty of making matzo balls without seltzer water because it's difficult to find on the shelves in New York right now. Some talked about how difficult it was to, to try to make sure that they had everything in the right place, and others talked about how difficult it was to get families, aunts, uncles, grandparents on Zoom. I'm sure many of you can understand that. But through all of the difficulties, none of them gave up. You see, they still met. They understood that this was a still point in their life and in the year, and they knew how important it was for them to get together. They each cooking their own meal in their own house, reciting the same words. During all of this uncertainty, all of the difficulty and distance, They gathered around a table, looking for a sense of normalcy, clinging to that familial ancestral story, the one about deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And it was not unlike that when the disciples gathered. I'm sure that Peter and, and John and everyone lamented how short of a time they had to prepare everything. I mean, Jesus had a room secured for them, but they still had to go out to the areas around. They had to find a lamb and and bitter roots and all of the other things to get the meal together. Not only that, they had to make sure that the table was set in just a way that everyone was close enough to Jesus because they were all kind of vying for that spot as close to their teacher as possible. They told stories, the familial stories. They told them about how it was with their family and, and things that were the same. They all listened and recited that same 
familial story, the, the story that is familiar to all of us, the one that was passed down generation to generation, the story of deliverance, the exodus. But then, just as everything seemed familiar when all of the stories were the same and the festivities began to wind down, Jesus got up, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and likewise he took the cup, he blessed it, he gave it to his friends, he looked at them and he said, this is my body and my blood, it's broken and poured out for you as our new covenant. Friends, the meal that we are going to share tonight is a familiar one. We take it every month, we know the ritual, we can almost recite all of the words by heart, we know the stories but tonight we're going to take it in a new way. We will be around a table here. Many of you will be around a table at home. Some of you will be at altars you created in your homes. But all of us come to the Lord's table. We come with our hands open. We come ready to hear and remember that story. The story of Jesus delivering us from the power of sin and death. Luke's account of this Last Supper ends in a unique way. The disciples have all argued over who is greater and who will betray, and they've lost sight of this meal, this, this crazy thing that Jesus has just done. And so Jesus says to them, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one that is at the table or, or the one who serves? Is it not the one that's at the table? But then he says this, but I am among you as the one who serves. Tonight we will serve each other at the tables. We will take on the role of servant. We will give the body and blood of Christ to one another, to nourish one another, to transform one another. Not as a snack or a morsel, but as a living sacrifice, a reminder of that familiar evening, that feast during an uncertain time. Monday, Thursday, here we are. Holy Week, 2020. Monday, Thursday, the phrase that comes from the Latin to mandate or command, and yet Jesus' commandment for the, us and his disciples that night was not a long list of do's and don'ts, but instead to take and to eat and to drink, to be transformed and to go out into the world and share the love that we find at the table. Will you pray with me? This is a prayer from Reverend Sam Wells. God only wise, you delight to make your people out of food, and the food out of which you make us is your body and your blood. As we have become your body in the eating of food, bless those whom we share food with this week. And bless those with whom we share you and in whom we meet you, that in being made your body, we may become food for your world. And through the change that they see in us, that all may come to praise the glories of your name and change the world. Amen. As you see, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together this evening. This is a sacrament. Um, as, as Methodists, as Protestants, we have two sacraments, uh, baptism and the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Because it's a sacrament, we would never trivialize this moment. We believe that this is 
truly holy ground. In our practice as Methodists, we believe this should be a corporate, a communal moment and, and not celebrated in isolation. It could be celebrated in a large sanctuary like this. It could be in a nursing home where two or three are gathered, but always led by an elder of the church and consecrated. In recent weeks, we've become a new kind of community. We're using the word a virtual community. I know tonight we're not here in this same space. I'm picturing you and your back porch or your, uh, maybe as Patrick has been talking about around that kitchen table or in your den. Maybe some of you have created um, your own altar there. But I would suggest that we're still gathering around one altar and the very energy of this altar flowing out to you altar, your altar and your altars, bringing energy back to here. Tonight we're gonna have the Lord's Supper because I believe we're still a gathered community, a new kind of gathering, but still a gathered community. I wanna thank um, number of you who have sent pictures in of the altars that you created. Some, I think, were on the outside, some on the inside of your home. In just a moment, when Corey um, plays for us, um, Let Us Break Bread Together, you'll see a, a montage of these. Now, I know that some people probably got the message a little bit late about creating your own altar. I'm glad that Luke made the suggestion of running, going to the, it's not too late to move toward the kitchen to prepare. But let me also say this, if you're not prepared, do this. Don't, don't, turn, us, don't turn off the, the video right now. Re remember the times that you came here to this altar, that you either stood or you knelt. And I know you have some rich memories of what it was like to be fed here. So stay with us. If you need to do it in your heart and mind, just remember what it's like to be fed by the body of Christ and to drink the new covenant of the very blood of Christ. <laughs> 